Well, in Matthew chapter 24, we've been looking at it. We took a break for the last couple of weeks, so we're going to be getting back into Matthew there. And we've been looking at our Lord's own words about his own second coming to earth and all of the events that would be leading up to that, including when he does come back and what would take place when he does and what would happen directly thereafter. And when you look at some of the events and signs that were taking place, Jesus summed it up perfectly in Matthew 24 and verse 21 when he said, this is the great tribulation, a time that the world has never seen before, nor will they ever see again. And we looked at that in some detail before. And then Jesus said in verse 29 that immediately after the tribulation of those days and after the sky goes dark and the The sun doesn't shine, the moon doesn't give its light, and the stars start falling down from the heavens. He says, then you will see my coming. And this is something the disciples have been asking for. Tell us, what will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? And Jesus now gives them what that sign is. And we looked at that last time in some detail. That sign is Jesus himself coming back in all the power and all the glory when he appears in heaven. He is the sign that they have been looking for because he is the one that is coming back. And you remember we looked at last time that when he comes back, he's going to send his angels out and he's going to gather all of his elect, all of the believers who survived the tribulation period, and he's going to gather them to himself. And we also saw that when he comes back, he's going to send his angels out, according to 2 Thessalonians 1 and Matthew chapter 13, to gather all the unbelievers together, and he's going to destroy them. He's going to cast them into the burning fire and punish them there for that. So the only ones who are going to be left when Jesus Christ comes back after that final judgment will be the believers who have survived the tribulation period. And believe me, there will not be many because the book of Revelation says that there were an countless amount that were standing around the throne of God. And somebody says, well, who are these standing around the throne? And one of the angels answers and says, well, you know, these are the, one of the elders answers and says, these are those who have washed their robes in the blood of Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. A lot of people are going to die during that seven-year period of time, believers and unbelievers alike. And when Jesus does come back, things are going to be very, very different. They're going to be different in the animal kingdom. As we've seen before, the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. Uh, A small child can play in a poisonous viper's den and not get hurt. There's going to be a peace on this earth like there never has been before. The landscape, especially in the city of Jerusalem, is going to be changed after the city was split in two by split in three by an earthquake. After when Jesus comes back and his feet stand on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is going to be split in two, and we looked at that. And not to mention all of the things that have happened all across the globe during the tribulation period with all of the earthquakes and the flooding and all of the things that were taking place, the landscape is totally different. Wow. (laughs) Boy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Where was I? (laughs) Uh, 
Anyway, it's going to be peace like there never has been on the earth before. Because Jesus Christ, when he comes back, he will rule and reign for a thousand years, Revelation 20 verse 4 says. And there will be peace like there never has been before. And when we begin to look at all of this about the future events, I took a break from the book of Matthew, first of all, to look at the fact that how are we supposed to live today in light of all of the things that we're seeing about the future? And we looked in some detail about how we are to live. And the Apostle Paul said it best in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. He says, we should be looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Mike said earlier in Sunday school, a church that watches for the return of Jesus Christ is a biblical God-honoring church. And we do that as we look at the Word of God and understand that, and we can live that out in our lives. As a matter of fact, he said in 2 Timothy 4.8 that we ought to love His appearing. We as born-again believers, we look forward to, as 1 Corinthians 15 that Eric read earlier there, we're not all going to sleep, we're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. And we look forward to this corruption putting on incorruption and this mortal putting on immortality. We look forward to that. That's the hope that we have. We look forward to what 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So in light of Jesus sharing with his disciples all of this, undoubtedly the disciples still had some questions about when would these things be and what else might be happening as the time draws near for the return of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen when he returns and who is going to be here when he does return? So what Jesus does in light of some of those questions that he's anticipating them to ask, for the rest of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25, Jesus is going to answer some of those and other questions about his return and about what happens after he returns and about who's going to be here when he does return. And he's going to do it in the form of parables about being ready. He's going to do it in the form of comparisons to past events and the fact that you need to be ready. And about what happens when he does come back. And he's going to do it in the form of everyday situations that tell the people who are alive at that time that they need to be ready and the consequences if you're not. So Jesus wants to start out with the parable of the fig tree as a way of telling them when these things will be because he's already told them about the sign of his coming. Now he's going to tell them about what's going to be happening around the time that he comes back. And he's also going to tell them who is going to be around when he does. He's going to share this by way of a parable. And remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly, divine, spiritual meaning. And if the parable is not explained, then nobody can discern what that spiritual truth is. If the parable is explained, as Jesus does with his disciples here over and over again, so they can understand the spiritual truth behind his second coming, then that truth is revealed. That spiritual truth is revealed so they can apply it to their lives. And that's exactly what Jesus does as he starts with this first parable of the fig tree. Look at it in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 24. 
Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that the summer is near. It's a very simple earthly story that they would have understood and been familiar with because they know about the growth of the fig tree. They know about the fruit that comes on the fig tree and all of that that takes place. So Jesus says, learn about the parable of the fig tree. That word learn is important. It means understand, accept that truth, and live by what you understand that truth to be, of course, as Jesus reveals that to them, because it is so important. He says, learn the parable of the fig tree. And it's important because he's talking about his second coming and the events leading up to that. So Jesus says, when the branch of the fig tree is tender and puts forth leaves... In other words, the nutrients that come out of the ground and they go into the tree and they go into the the limbs of the tree and the branches, then it produces leaves. And then he says, then you know that summer is near. You know that summer is near because the leaves are on and then the fruit is going to come on and they're going to grow for the summer seasons. A very simple parable that they would have all understood the earthly story of that because they've been around it all of the time. Now Jesus is going to give the spiritual truth behind that. Look at verse 33. So you also, when you see all of these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Now I have to stop right here and explain something to you before we go any further, and I'll develop this as we go. We understand as we're looking at this that Jesus is talking to his disciples, his disciples only, about his own second coming and the events leading up to it. So when he says to them, I want you to learn about the parable, and he gives the parable and he says, and then all of these things that he's talking about or all of the things that he's shared with them In chapter 24, verses 4 through 11, all the stuff dealing with the events leading up to and to his return being near. So then Jesus says, when you see all of these things, he's not talking to the disciples directly. He is talking to the generation, the people that will be alive when these events take place. We know that he's not talking directly to the disciples about the future events. He's not talking to them as being the generation that will see these events. And the reason we know that is because all of the disciples are dead. They've been dead for thousands of years. And Jesus Christ hasn't appeared yet. He hasn't returned yet. There has been no abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place because there is no holy place. There is no third temple in the city of Jerusalem yet. And people say, well, no, this is talking about when Rome came and they destroyed the temple. Yes, Rome did come and they did destroy the temple, but they did not set up an abomination of desolation there. They completely destroyed the temple. Not to mention the fact that the Sky hasn't been darkened, the moon has not given its life, and the fact that all the stars from heaven have not fallen to the earth, let alone all that's supposed to happen during the tribulation time of Revelation chapter 6 through 19 that have not happened yet, 
He cannot be talking to the disciples because they are dead and gone. So Jesus says, when you see all of these things, he's talking in what the, the Bible describes as a prophetic sense or a future sense as if the people were actually there. And I gave you some examples in your notes there in Isaiah that talk about this very clearly. It's when, when the prophet speaks to you and he's speaking of a future event, he doesn't change it to them. He continues to say you. Let me give you an example. Maybe it'll help you out here. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, this is a familiar one to most of us. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, who is that talking about? That's talking about Jesus. This isn't going to be fulfilled for another 400 years. But Zacharias says, you will see him. No, they won't because they will all have been long dead and gone. So he uses the future tense of you when he speaks about a people. And as he's speaking to the disciples about future events, he is also speaking to those people who will be there when these events take place. He's talking about the generation that will be alive when these signs begin, when they begin to happen, he says it will be close even at the doors. And this generation that is alive at that time will by no means pass away. They will still be alive until all of these things take place when Jesus Christ comes back and the disciples are dead and gone, long gone. So he's talking about a future people who will be alive when this takes place. Just like the person who sees the fig tree from the beginning where it sprouts its leaves, knows that summer is coming and the fruit is going to be on there and they're going to harvest that fruit. So those who see all of these things, the beginning of the birth pangs, the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of all of these signs will be living, will not pass away and see the end of the age and the return of Jesus Christ. That's what he is saying there. Those who witness the birth pains will witness the birth. Those who are alive when these signs begin, waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, will be alive when these signs come to pass and Jesus returns. And quite frankly, when you think about it, according to Daniel 9.27 and several different places in Revelation and other places in Scripture, The tribulation, that seven-year period of time that's referred to many places in Scripture, is really only a seven-year period of time from start to finish. And we've seen that before. From the beginning of the tribulation to the end is a seven-year period of time. The last three and a half years are the great tribulation. So the generation that is alive at the beginning of the tribulation, the beginning of that seven-year time, will be alive at the end. Now, I have to share one more thing with you here as well, too. We who are alive here at this very moment, sitting in this church right now, who are born-again believers, will not be a part of this generation to see 
the return of Jesus Christ. If we believe, if we hold to what the scriptures say in a rapture of the church before the seven years of tribulation begin. I've shared this with you before. When we talk about the rapture of the church, it's a word that means the snatching away or the the carrying away. It's a biblical doctrine uh, that is mentioned several places in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15 that Eric read earlier, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, Revelation 3.10, several places in uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Um, All of these places talk about where the body of believers will suddenly be taken up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It's called the rapture the carrying away of the church. The issue becomes that some people believe in the different timing of the rapture. And there's really four different views. The first view is what's called a pre-tribulation rapture. That means pre-tribulation, before the tribulation begins, before that seven years begin, the church will be raptured out. All Christians, all born-again believers will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. That's pre-tribulation rapture. Then there's a what's called the mid-tribulation rapture. Some people believe just before the great tribulation happens that the church will be taken up. They'll have to go through a portion of it, but not all of it. That's called the mid-tribulation rapture belief. Some believe that there is what's called the pre-wrath rapture of the church. It's after the midway point, but not to the end. When things get really bad in the final bold judgments, the church is taken up. They they are called the pre-wrath rapture believers. And the final belief is those they call the post-tribulation rapture. They believe that the Christians, the church, will go through the tribulation, and then at the very end, when just before Christ comes back, they'll be taken up, and then they'll come back down with Christ just immediately thereafter. And so they're called the post-tribulation rapture believers. And there's compelling evidence by people you talk to or things that you read for each one of these views. And it should not be anything that would keep people from fellowshipping with other believers who have differing views, because people have differing views. Uh, We do all have the same view in the fact that the rapture is going to take place. Scripture makes that very clear by some of the verses I've already looked at and many others. But the timing of it uh, is something that uh, is, is open for debate amongst different people. I'll tell you what this church believes and teaches and what we um, look forward to being a pre-tribulation rapture that we will not go through the tribulation. And, and there's a lot of reasons in Scripture for that. I'm not, I'm not going to take you through all of those. I'm just going to take you through a couple of them so you have a brief understanding. One of those being this. If you read the book of Revelation 
and it's a chronological book, which it is, if you look at Revelation chapter 1, that deals with the revelation of who Jesus Christ is in all his glory and majesty and how he's going to be coming in judgment by the way he's dressed and everything. John hears that voice and he turns around and he sees the glory of God in Revelation chapter 1. Then in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you see the seven churches of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, it says that Jesus is walking in the midst of his churches. And in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we see those churches. And those churches, all seven of those, are representative of churches of all time, even in the time future to us and the time in the past to us. Those seven churches also represent seven types of people in those churches. And you can see that as well, too. Well, then in Revelation chapter 4, all of a sudden the scene changes to heaven. John says, I saw a door open into heaven and I stepped up in there. And this is what I saw. And what he sees around the throne are the 24 elders now around the throne of God. And those are representative of the church. They are no longer on earth. They are in heaven around the throne. Revelation chapter 5, then we see Jesus Christ getting the scroll from God and he begins to open it up. And then from Revelation chapter 6 through 19, as he opens up the scroll, the seven years of tribulation begin. And that's when all of the, the trials and tests and all of the judgment happens upon the earth for that seven years. The interesting thing about that, from Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 19, the church is not mentioned once during the entire time of the tribulation. And the only reason for that is because they are not there. That's why Paul doesn't give any instruction to born-again believers of how to live during the tribulation period because we're not going to be a part of that. And if you think about the fact that some people believe in a post-tribulation rapture, they're the ones who believe that we as a church are going to go through it And then at the very end, everybody's going to be taken up, and then Christ is going to come right back down. The problem with that is this. When Jesus Christ does come back to earth, every unbeliever is going to be destroyed. They're going to be punished. They're going to be cast in the lake of fire. And if every believer was taken off the face of the earth, and when they meet the Lord in the air at the very end and their bodies are changed, and they come back to earth, Who's going to populate the earth? Because the Bible says over that thousand-year period of time, there's going to be more people than can number the sands of the sea. How are they going to populate? Because the born-again believers are going to have glorified bodies. They're not going to be able to procreate. All unbelievers are going to be gone. Who's going to populate the earth? So there has to be some people left on the earth when Christ comes back, and that's the believers who survived the tribulation period who now begin to live with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. Also, when you think about the book of Revelation, chapter 3, in verse 10, this is one of the two churches in the book of Revelation that God uh, looks favorably upon. The other five he does not. And this is what he says to the church at Philadelphia. Because you have kept my command to persevere... I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. 
What is the only trial that is going to test the entire world, the whole earth? It's the tribulation for that seven-year period of time. And it fits right in Jesus saying, Behold, I am coming quickly. And then also when you look at the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, this is a prophecy about the second coming of Jesus Christ and the tribulation period. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying to God, confessing the sins of his people, and God reveals to Daniel this incredible vision of 490 years in the history of the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And as he's praying, God reveals this 490-year period of time pulled out of all of human history and reveals that to him. But what he begins by saying is this, this revelation is for your people and your holy city. The revelation is for the nation of Israel only, the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem. And so 483 years of that 490 years happens from the rebuilding of the temple in Nehemiah to the return to the first coming of Jesus Christ and his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. That's 483 years that were pulled out of that revelation that Daniel got. Those were 483 years. That's taken care of. And then Jesus dies, Daniel 9 says. He's crucified. And all of a sudden, the next verse, verse 27 says, and the prince who will come is going to break the covenant with Israel at the three-and-a-half-year point. And, of course, we know from our studies that's talking about the Antichrist making a pact with Israel for seven years and then breaking that at the halfway point. So what happened to the other? What happened there between the 483 and then the rest of that? The church age, the age we're living in now, After the 483rd year, when Jesus Christ came back and he died, was crucified, he rose again, then there was a break from that last seven years of the the prophecy that was given to Daniel. There was a break, 483 years, then the church began, the church is still going on today, and then the church is going to end at the rapture. They're taken up. And then that last final seven years of tribulation will begin on the earth for the nation of Israel and all who are alive during that time. And then you have the last seven years of that prophecy. And so if the church was not in the first 69 weeks or the first 483 years of that prophecy, why would they be in the last seven? They're not. And one final one is in... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you, a lot of you know this passage very well. Paul says that, that when the last trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Because what had just happened is a lot of people were dying in the church. And these people were mourning over their death. And Paul says, don't mourn. You want to know why? Because there's coming a time when the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet with them, to meet the Lord in the air, and we'll always be there. So you can comfort one another with these words. 
Let me ask you something. Would those be words of comfort if they had to go through the tribulation? You would be rejoicing if you ended up dying and went to heaven because you wouldn't have to then go through that tribulation. And that's why he shares that with him. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58, uh, Revelation 3.10, all these places talk about the rapture of the church. And I just share all that with you just because I want to, as your pastor, I want to give you hope. I want to give you my understanding of the scriptures and the best way to understand the, the, the rapture is a pre-tribulation rapture of the church and our hope that we have in the midst of that. So suffice it to say that the disciples are not the generation whom Jesus is talking to. We are not the generation to whom Jesus is talking to if we are born-again believers. But I can also say this. If you're sitting here today in this church or in this world today as an unbeliever, then you certainly could be a part of the generation that will be alive to see the beginning of these events and the return of Jesus Christ. And it will be a terrible, terrible time for you. Well, look at verse 35 here. Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus says the earth and the universe as we know it is going to pass away, but what I have just shared with you will not fail to come to pass, just like I said. You know, when he said something similar in Matthew 5.18, when he said, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus says, heaven and earth can pass away, but my words concerning my own second coming, all of the events leading up to it are still going to be fulfilled and now nothing is going to pass away until it is. And by the way, you know scripture well enough to know that heaven and earth is going to pass away someday. All that we know of everything around us is one day going to be gone. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 to 12 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Revelation 21.1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Now, those events are in the context at the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth, and that's the time when eternity begins in heaven for the believers, and eternity begins in the punishment and fires of hell for the unbelievers, as Revelation 20 and verse 11 says. Jesus says, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my words will not pass away. As a matter of fact, he said in Luke 16, 17, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one little tittle of the law to fail. A jot and a tittle are the smallest little specks of a letter in the Hebrew and Greek alphabet. Nothing is going to be done away with until every single thing is fulfilled. And by the way, Jesus says, my words. And scripture says, God's word. So whose word is it? The answer is 
Yes, it's both, because they are one in the same. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11, talks about God's word being described as the law of the Lord, the testimonies of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. And the psalmist goes on to say, they will endure forever. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7 The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forevermore. God's word is settled in heaven forever. So what Jesus says, that what I tell you about my second coming and all of the events surrounding it, you can believe it because it is the truth because it is my word, because it is God's word. My question to you is, do you believe it? My next question is to you, are you ready for that day when that event happens? If you're a believer, if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, then you will be ready and not have to go through the great tribulation. If you're not a believer, then it's going to be hell on earth. Terrible, terrible. You just read Revelation 6 through 19, and you can see that. And people will come to Christ during that time. A lot of them will, because when all the believers are taken, there's nobody left on the earth but unbelievers. But at that very moment, people are going to come to Christ, because there's going to be an angel proclaiming the gospel. There's going to be 144,000 Jews proclaiming the gospel. There are people individually going to be proclaiming the gospel. But then out of all of those people, Isaiah says, a man is going to be more rare than the gold of Ophir, very valuable gold, because many of them are going to die during that tribulation period. Why wait? Why put off? If you're born again and you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, then you won't go through this. If you believe in any other portion of that rapture, then you would have to go through some of that. And if you don't believe at all, it's not too late to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ by simply believing that you're a sinner that needs to be saved because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He can save you from every sin, past, present, and future that nailed him to the cross that deserves God's punishment, that he will punish this earth during that seven-year period of time because of their sin. And then at the end of that, when eternity begins, all unbelievers, Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 15, make very clear that there's a place called the lake of fire where every person who sides with Satan, whether they're a good religious person or an atheist or agnostic or rebellious to God, will go if they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So what about you? Jesus is so concerned about people being ready for this event that he's going to share with the disciples and with us in these future studies, how you can be prepared to be ready for those events and what happens if you're not. So let's pray.